Hey guys, Jason Davis here. Uh, with everything that's going on out there in culture, in the school system, especially the public school system, right? And drag shows and everything in between, our kids are under attack daily. And that's why I wanted to tell you today about the Tuttle Twins books. Tuttle Twins is really, it's the only books uh, that I know of for kids that really help them develop critical thinking skills about real world concepts, economies, finance, government, freedom, liberty, the free market, how to be self-reliant and outside the system. Right now, we just all have to recognize the world's full of companies and people and politicians that want to expose and influence our kids and in ideas that we don't support. And so that includes school teachers, unfortunately. So Tuttle Twins empowers parents. I encourage you to check them out at TuttleTwins.com or if you go to my website at DontTreadOnLiberty.com and go to Freedom Partners under Tuttle Twins, there is a special offer for you. So DontTreadOnLiberty.com under Freedom Partners. Check out the Tuttle Twins and we do have a special offer for you. Well, let's get back to the show. I hope you enjoy this week. God bless. Fighting back against the left's nonstop attacks on liberty, freedom, and America. America. This is Don't Tread on Liberty. Jason Davis is on the air. Hey, welcome back to Don't Tread on Liberty. Thanks for being here. This is Jason Davis, and we're back with our spring solution shows. We talk a lot about pro, uh, problems and things like that and what's happening, but... Lately, we've been doing some solution programs. So today, our expert on the front line in the, the medical field, he worked in internal medicine uh, for over 10 years. He's trained in multiple disciplines of medicine, even Chinese medicine. And he's focused exclusively on the treatment and prevention of COVID-19 since December of 2020. Dr. Syed Hyder is here. Doctor, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for being had. <laughs> so, <laughs> so obviously you're on the front lines. You did your residency in New York City. That's kind of like the belly of the beast, right? Um, <laughs> and you're in internal medicine. So, I mean, I would. I'm fascinated by this. So, tell me from your perspective, um, when all of this started, how did this all kind of come down for you? What did you see, and when did you kind of figure out um, that the treatment protocols that were being pushed really weren't working? Yeah, so um, when the pandemic first hit, I was doing um, hospitalist work. So, uh, you know, patients who have been in the hospital know that usually you'll see a hospital doctor and they're called hospitalists. So I was doing that. And I actually caught COVID in the first month, month and a half um, after I'd been working there. And that job was coming to an end. It was kind of like a part-time thing that I had done for that hospital just to help them out um, until they had hired somebody. And so... At the very beginning of the pandemic, this must have been like February or March, um, New York was sending out like, you know, frantic requests to doctors, hospital doctors like myself, come and help us, you know, come to the front lines. We were overwhelmed, you know, we're going to need tons of people. And they were offering like ridiculous pay rates, like double or two and a half times what you normally make. And so, um, so I actually bought a ticket. You know, I signed up with somebody and I was ready to go like the next day. And then they canceled at the last minute. And <laughs> they're like, you don't need to come. Um, and then after that, there were no jobs anywhere in the country for hospital doctors for like the next 18 months. Okay. So, you know, right then, right at the very start, you know, me and like every other physician I knew was just like, oh, it's just a flu bug. You know, it's just another virus. Like, what's the big deal? Um, 
and so we didn't really we didn't take it seriously. No one was really taking it seriously to begin with. And and I think if you can if people can remember back to that time, really like no one even in the government was taking it seriously. Like everyone was just like, oh, it's not a big deal, um, including Fauci, including everyone. Right. The, that all that changed later on. Um, but you know that was kind of the first kind of like strange thing about it that didn't really jive with what the media was portraying about it. Right. That you know these hospitals were overwhelmed, and you know you're seeing you're hearing all these things in the media that New York is being overwhelmed. And I was like, no, it's not, not really, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no one there. There's the hospitals are basically empty. Um, and so, and then after that, you know, I caught it, I developed long COVID at that point. We, I didn't even know what long COVID was. I don't know that anyone knew what it was. And so I had these weird symptoms and I was just like, I don't know where those came from. You know, I can't sleep very well. I have insomnia, I have some anxiety and, um, you know, some other symptoms that lasted for months. And, uh, and so I was just kind of like, doing different things that I knew of to like from a functional medicine standpoint, Chinese medicine standpoint, you know, herbs and stuff. And, um, and they kind of gradually went away and, but it took like six, seven months. It took a while. And, uh, and then the pandemic, you know, really started getting rolling and, you know, Trump was talking about hydroxychloroquine. And then I saw that the media just like suddenly like turned on him and turned on hydroxychloroquine and everything that you would say would be like, Oh, like, that can't be true, you know? Um, and, and then the media did the same thing with the vaccines, right? They were like, all the Democrats were like, don't get vaccinated with those, you know, rushed vaccines. And then, you know, as soon as he's out of office, everyone should get vaccinated right away. You know, they're the same vaccines. It's not like you've made new ones, you know, in 24 hours after he was, you know, kicked out. Um, so there, there were a lot of these kind of like weird things going on. And and then I started hearing about hydroxy or ivermectin. So after I didn't, you know, I didn't find any hospital job. So I started working online. And I was working for a big telemedicine company and I was seeing patients come in with COVID. And so I started looking around like, because, you know, I've, I've, for years I had been into like functional medicine, alternative medicine. And so I, I kind of knew from prior experience that, you know, there's always something that they're not telling you, you know, there's always like, what's the real good stuff, you know, what, what's the stuff that really works. And, and it's not going to be the stuff that's the expensive new stuff. It's probably going to be something old that's been around for a while. Um, and so I was already searching around for those things. So hydroxychloroquine was on my radar and then ivermectin kind of arrived. Um, and I, I have to admit, you know, unfortunately, I kind of like believed them on the hydroxychloroquine thing. I didn't even really look into it. I was like, oh, I guess it doesn't work. You know, like new data came out and I was just kind of like browsing and not really going deep into it because I didn't have a lot of patients interested in using it. Um, basically, no one was interested in using anything off-label because they just didn't believe that anything existed. So so people would start coming to me and then I started looking at ivermectin. I was like, oh, okay, well, hydroxychloroquine supposedly doesn't work, but ivermectin seems to be safe and all these studies show it works. So then I started offering that. But like 99 out of 100 people would just kind of like stare at me like with this blank stare, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like they had never heard of it. You know, it's this weird sounding med. They, you know, it's not a normal, you know, thing that you use commonly. And um, the media wasn't talking about it. So like, it's hard to convince people of something when like everyone in the world you know, isn't talking about it. And you would expect that they would be for something like this, right? If, it, if there was something that treated COVID or prevented COVID, you'd be like, it must, it would have been on CNN. It would have been, you know, Fauci would be talking about it. Like how, how this guy's crazy, <laughs> you know, like, um, so that was my experience um, until, um, until the uh, Dr. Pierre Corey's interview went viral in front of the Senate. So Ron Johnson's Senate hearing, you know, like that really turned the tide in a big way, you know, because it got the word out to millions of Americans, you know, something like 10, 20 million people saw it before it was pulled down. Right. Um, and, and now probably way more just because it's been making the rounds on Rumble and wherever else, you know, it's outside of YouTube. 
And so, so people actually start coming searching for ivermectin at that point, and then things really kind of took off for myself and other doctors who were who wanted to give this, and they just couldn't find anyone to give it to. Um, so, so at that point, I kind of broke off from that medicine, telemedicine company and started my own site because just people were just like searching and finding us, and you know there were you know websites up that had lists of doctors who were willing to prescribe this and and there was just like a handful of us in the beginning and there were like so many patients who were looking for it um so so that's how i kind of got started and got into it and figured out that it was working yeah so it's funny that you mentioned that uh, there were no jobs um you know they say it's a medical emergency um uh, where i live yeah. the hospital says they're they're overflowing you drive by there's not a single car there um, right. <laughs> I think we've had people walk in with cameras into the waiting room and they ask the front desk, well, I thought you guys were overflowing with patients. Where's all the patients? And they're like, oh, we don't have no patients here. Like there, there's hard, there's yeah. hardly anybody here. Um, yeah, that, that's why we're broadcasting TikTok videos all day long of nurses dancing in the hallways. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's just insane. And they, that still continues today. Uh, of course, there's a big medical shortage and you know, they're firing thousands of people, for, firing not, people. for not taking the shot. And then they're claiming they're shorthanded. I wonder why. So that's very interesting. So your site, go mygotodoc.com. Um, this is where people can go. You can get prophylaxis. You can get, um, you know, ivermectin for that kind of treatment if you want or things like that, right? That's what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Um, so we have uh, like a group of drugs, you know, that I prescribe for prevention or for treatment. And nowadays, I think I would just keep it on hand because I'm, I'm convinced the pandemic's not over. So what happens in a population is that you'll have a huge spike, like we saw with Omicron, like we saw at Delta, but less, you know, is like not quite as big of a spike. But every time there's a big spike and basically everyone kind of gets exposed, everyone gets sick. And, and even the people who you didn't think that got exposed oftentimes did get exposed. But anyway, the, the population kind of develops this kind of super immunity that lasts for three, four months, right? And it'll, it'll actually prevent any infection, not just like COVID, but like even a cold or a flu or some other virus comes along, even you won't even get sick from that, right? So like typically most people's experience of their lives is like they'll get sick and then they don't get sick for another few months. It's not like you keep getting colds back to back unless, you know, something wrong with your immune system. So this is what's been happening since the beginning of the pandemic. The unusual thing that no one expected was that the virus would mutate so much and so many times. And, and what it actually kind of like hints at is that it's not really mutating because coronaviruses don't really do that like the way this one is doing it that each of these variants may actually have been created and released unfortunately um but even if it is a natural progression natural evolution you know even though it's quite suspicious looking you know omicron kind of came out of left field i mean if you look at an evolutionary tree of covid it's like where the hell did this come from right like now let me there's now no let me, like precursors now let me stop you there for a second so if it let's assume it was a naturally occurring virus which i don't think it is but if it were, each of these um, variants would typically be less virulent than before, right? So this is um, often the case, um, not always. So usually evolution goes in that direction because otherwise if, if it becomes super virulent and kills people very quickly, then it can't spread anymore. And so like it's an evolutionary dead end. Um, but it's not always the case. There are some really super contagious things and super 
you know, deadly things that actually go in the opposite direction. They get more deadly. So, you know, that is kind of like a layman's kind of understanding that typically things go in that direction. They don't always. Um, it seems like, you know, Delta kind of got worse and Omicron kind of got better, but like better and worse is kind of relative anyway, right? Because Delta was more severe, but it didn't infect as many people as Omicron did. Omicron was much less severe, but it infected like way more people. And so it actually ended up killing as many as Delta did and hospitalizing as many as Delta did. I mean, I, I know like the numbers aren't really accurate that the government gives us. They're like overblown and they're overcounting and everything. I, I understand. I agree with that. But, you know, they're, they're all we have. So going by those numbers, you know, the death rate, whatever, was probably about similar, even though it had to infect like four or five times more people to do it. But at the end of the day, I mean, it still affects the population in the same way. It just infected more people to, to accomplish the same thing as Delta. And more important for most people is it's not the acute infection. I mean, like most people in the U.S. who died were over 80, right? So generally, once you get to that age, you're almost, you know, I mean, you're close to the end anyway, right? Like you have like a year or two left. I mean, you're way past like um, kind of like, you know, the goodbye date. You're, you're, yeah. You're, yeah, you're um you're past the age where most people are passing away and past the normal life expectancy. So, I mean, a lot of people at that age, they may have died from anything that came along that year, right? Whether it was a cold or a flu or any other bug, right? It, it might have just been like that was their year to go, and you know, it happened to be COVID that hit them, and or you know, it could have been the flu, you know, if COVID hadn't been around. Um, yeah, so that's a possibility. Um, and uh, and and that kind of points to the fact that you know the life years that are lost by somebody who's over 80 it's like one or two or three yet life years lost you know what was their life expectancy at that point pretty short um versus life years lost by somebody younger who may have died due to lockdowns you know that, that's a real crime against humanity the lockdowns killed people who were primarily a lot younger you know from suicide homicide you know overdoses um things like that but also things like missed care for like heart attacks strokes cancers those things were killing people and they had nothing to do with COVID. and we have the numbers and the life years lost are like 50% or more than even the inflated COVID death numbers, right? So um, that that just really kind of like irks me, you know, like, and I knew that right from the beginning, like, as soon as the lockdowns were being talked about, um, you know, the experts at the time were like, are you crazy? I mean, we've known for decades they don't work. And the same with masks, like we've known for decades they don't work. And, you know, even Fauci and, and like all these people, it was all well known. And then suddenly we just like shifted the conversation and like only people who were like gung-ho for lockdowns were allowed on television or in the mainstream media. And, you know, they just, it's like astroturfing, right? You're, you're like making it seem as though it's like this groundswell of support. And it's really like, you're just cherry picking certain people to stick up there on, you know, YouTube and then CNN and NBC. Um, but yeah, when, when lockdowns were announced, I was like, there, people are going to be dying from this, you know, there, there's going to be people losing their jobs and their livelihoods. And, you know, then it concentrates wealth at the top even more. That's all it accomplished. It impoverished people. So they have less time <clears throat> and they're less able to like resist vaccination, right? Like now they have a second job or now they have two and a half jobs to put food on the table and pay their bills and pay their, you know, mortgage and pay their, you know, their debts and stuff and take care of their children and their wife and, you know, their parents and whoever, you know, they're taking care of. So like most Americans didn't want to take this vaccine, right? Like they didn't want to get injected. And a lot of them just like went ahead and did it because they were like, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. Sure. I can refuse, but it's like coercion, right? I mean, like I have no other option. I have no other job, you know, I'll lose my job. I'll lose my livelihood. My, my, you know, 
and then you lose everything, right? Like most people in this country, they just live paycheck to paycheck, right? Like hardly anyone has like an extra 50 bucks, right? For like an unexpected medical expense. I mean, there was some study, like barely anyone has like an extra $200 for an unexpected expense in this country. So, I mean, when we look at people like that, I mean, it's clear out and out coercion, you know, like you can't, those people can't afford to lose their jobs, right? True. It's very true. And, you know, you bring up the vaccine, which is not having a very good track record. I mean, if you look in the VARS database, they report over 2 million adverse events um, in the government system, which they admit only captures 1% of reported events in total. If that's true, I mean, I mean, this is out, this is going to be a disaster of enormous proportions i mean if, if it's one percent you're talking about everyone who is vaccinated has an adverse event that's 200 million right so like uh, you know a little bit over 200 million you know maybe a lot more now but 200 million or so americans have been you know vaccinated with the vaccines and um that's and what so, they say so so the one percent is it's not what the the government you know admits to but it's a, it's a harvard study that you know came up with the one percent number right there's varying there's varying estimates you know some people think that it's you know you have to multiply by 100 to get the real number some people think you have to multiply by 40 or 30 or you know regardless can, the number can we agree that it's low yeah it's always low for everything like everyone agrees that it's always underreported. It's not overreported, and that's what the CDC is basically saying, and the FDA is basically saying that this is vastly like all of it is overreporting. There's nothing like actually due to the vaccine. There's no deaths due to the vaccine. The, I mean, there's twenty five million, twenty five thousand reported deaths, but they're saying that none of them are actually due to the vaccine. They're all overreporting. I mean, that's like, what are you talking about? Like 25 million percent overreporting? I mean, it's like, it's oh, insane what they're saying. Well, well first of all, um, 2 million adverse events that are actually reported, which we all agree yeah. is low, um, that's more than the total number of COVID deaths, period. Uh, and as far as that 25,000 deaths that they report in that system, we already have federal lawsuits pending. Uh, whistleblowers have come out and said that is way, way low. They're removing. Yeah, we have a lot of confirmatory data. I know, yeah. absolutely, right? VAERS is just one source of data. I mean, the, the number I, I believe, you know, is pretty close to accurate is probably 30 to 40 multiplier, right? So that gives us a million deaths, 25,000 times 40. That's about a million. Um, and, uh, and you can arrive at that number a lot of different ways. Like Steve Kirsch arrived at the same, av around the same number, like seven, eight different ways, right? Um, so, so, and other people also have kind of confirmed the same range of deaths, right? And this was months ago. And at that time he was like coming up with 200,000 deaths. Now we're up to like a million, which is just crazy. I mean, seriously. But like you said, it's not just the vaccine adverse events reporting system. It was confirmed by Medicare data, confirmed by Department of Defense data, confirmed by insurance industry data. It all says the same thing. And it was like this, you know, dam was about to break. It, se it really seemed like all of this was about to get out, right? And then suddenly the war in Ukraine happens and the media spins on a dime. And now all we talk about is Ukraine 24 seven. And what people don't realize is the US government was kind of poking the Russian bear and kind of like, you know, provoking them, right? Sure. Ukraine was actually talking about nuclearizing themselves. I mean, that's literally the same thing as the Cuban Missile Crisis, okay? Ukraine is on Russia's border, right? Imagine U.S. nuclear armaments 
on the Russian border. I mean, who's going to put up with that? Certainly not. Vladimir. Yeah. And then there's all this other stuff that they have now with, uh, you know, Biden's family connections and the money going to Ukraine. And then you have bio labs in Ukraine, federal right. government contracts to do yeah. this exact testing that has unleashed this thing. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if a well-placed bomb takes out all the records of, you know, whatever happened in the Ukraine in the last 20 years involving, you know, our American politicians. So, so something that you, you write about that's very interesting um, and others have talked about it, but you say the virus and the MRNA shot together is creating a modified pathogen. What do you mean by that? Uh, so, so, I, so I, I think I know what you're referring to. So, what I meant was that the the virus is is a pretty bad bioweapon on its own. Okay, um, the 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 real weapon is the spike protein, you know, and, and the virus is a delivery system. You know, it, it comes into your body, it multiplies, but the damage is done by the spike protein. That's what causes the inflammation, causes the um, you know, the cytokine storm, it causes the whiteout in the lungs, it causes long COVID, it causes everything, right? It's all really down to the spike protein. But a virus isn't the best delivery system for a spike protein because it kind of is stopped primarily stopped by the surface immune system. And then it doesn't penetrate very deeply beyond the surface immune system. Um, you feel sick everywhere, but the virus isn't literally everywhere in your body, okay? Even though you have aches and pains and stuff like that and fever, you don't actually have virus everywhere in your body. But the injection, it one-ups that, right? It's a, it's a much better delivery system. So if, if the spike protein is like bullets, you know, it's like comparing like a six-shooter to like a machine gun, right? Like it's just, it's going to give you a lot more bullets and a lot more damage. So the way it does it is there's a number of ways. So the lipid nanoparticles take a modified mRNA. So the mRNA is kind of like, it's strengthened artificially so that it doesn't degrade in the body the way normal mRNA does. So that the, the infection, you know, the virus will come in, it'll infect you for a few days, and then everything kind of like breaks up and the mRNA disappears and the virus is dead. And then the spike protein, some of your cells will hold on to it and those people develop long COVID, but that's it, right? So, so that's it. You know, the thing is over and there's some residual spike protein left. Whereas with the injection, the lipid nanoparticles take this strengthened mRNA everywhere in your body, to your brain, to your ovaries, to your liver, to your bone marrow, to all your organs, to your heart, you know, and then the organs themselves, all those cells in all those places take up the mRNA and start producing spike protein sticking it to their surface and then they're killed you know so that's what was supposed to happen only here right that, that's the way it normally works is the cells in your upper shoulder are supposed to present the spike protein on their surface and then it trains your um you know your immune system to create the antibodies but then the t killer cell the natural you know the natural killer cells come and destroy that cell because it's now it's abnormal it's like why are you making spike protein right we're going to kill you so that you stop right stop doing that um you're not supposed to be doing it but and and that's okay if it's happening in a tiny little area in your upper shoulder, right? But not okay if it's happening in all your blood vessels, all throughout your body. You know, cells being destroyed everywhere, left and right. Um, and then not only that, but it continues. It doesn't just stop after a few days. It keeps going because the mRNA doesn't degrade. And and it's been found now in lymph nodes, for example, month like weeks later. And and we don't know how long it continues for because no one's looking, no one's checking. Right. So so now you have spike protein being produced, causing its inflammation, and it just keeps being produced, keeps producing inflammation. Right. It's not stopping. So that, that's why I say it's kind of a, it's an upgraded weapon. The, the injection is just an upgraded delivery system 
for this bioweapon. And and then what it does, okay, now now is when they kind of like start to interact with each other. Then what it does is it what, what's called um, so so there's like an immune uh, immunological term. Um, it's, not coming to me right now, but basically what happens is that the immune system kind of gets primed for the original virus, and then it can't upgrade itself to recognize the new variants properly. And so it's being, so a natural infection, you're going to recognize the entire thing. So so it's kind of as if like, a, you're, imagine your immune system is a security guard and a robber attacks, right? And the security guard sees all, all, and the, the robber's invisible, okay? It's the invisible man attacking. And the only thing the security guard can see is the gun. The gun's not invisible, okay? So the security guard recognizes the gun. And then, you know, the next day, another robber attacks, you know, and they're holding a different gun and the security guard doesn't recognize it or they're holding a knife or something. And the security guard's like, it's not the same guy. This, this guy's okay, let him pass through, whatever. And so that's what's happening with the immune system. The immune system is learning to recognize just the spike protein. The vaccines are training it to only recognize the spike protein, nothing else. And so when a new virus comes along, maybe it changes the spike protein. It turns the gun into like an Uzi, you know, and your immune system's like, oh, it's okay. I don't know what that is. It's okay. Must be all right. Must be a toy, you know? And so it lets it pass through. And that's what's happening with uh, with people's immune systems. That, and they're even once they get infected with the new variants, their immune system is still stuck on the old pattern and it can't upgrade itself to the new one. Whereas if the same thing happens with natural infections, like your immune system's kind of like geared towards the first one and it doesn't upgrade very easily to the next ones, but it recognizes so many parts of the virus that the virus can't change enough to be unrecognizable in the future. It's like, you know, somebody walks up and you, you, you can tell who they are. You know, you recognize your mom, you recognize even strangers, right? If you see them one time and then you see them again, you'll recognize them without a doubt, even if they have a scar, even if they put on an eye patch, even if they change their hair and color it. And you, know, you can do a whole lot and you'll still recognize that person. You change your clothes, everything, right? And so, so the virus can go through all these changes, but it can't go through so many changes that a natural, you know, naturally immune person won't recognize it. I mean, you may not prevent it from infecting you completely, but you're not going to get super sick from it. So, so this is the, the main issue with the virus is it's inhibiting the immune response of people, or it's giving them like a very poor immune response to only one like isolated piece of the virus. And it doesn't like translate into a good immune response to any other variant. And so now we have all these new variants, right? And so the people who are dying now are the vaccinated people, right? So they have, they've been primed to die from the new variants, right? It's almost like a one-two punch, you know, it could have been, couldn't have been planned worse by a Bond villain, right? To, you know, kill people all over the world and reduce the population, right? Um, I mean, it's literally, it's out of a James Bond movie. It's crazy. Um, and so you're seeing in like Europe and England, you know, 90% of people who are dying are dying vaccinated yeah, people. Are dying. Israel, yeah. And, yeah, and they they try to like obfuscate this, you know, obscure these facts by in, in a lot of countries, they lump together one vaccine and no vaccine into one group for the statistics. All right. So that you can't really tell that the people who it's, haven't had a vaccine are doing way better than everyone else. Okay. Each shot worsens your outcome. You know, one shot is worse than no shots, two shots worse than one, three shots even worse, you know, four shots, you know. It's and it's and it's not possible that they don't know. It's no, not it's possible. not possible. It's impossible, literally impossible. There's no way in hell that the people and the government, the Bill Gates doesn't know this, all right? They're talking about this behind closed doors. All I can imagine is they have, you know, the smarter you are, the better you are at coming up with some kind of justification for what you do. 
But at this part, at this point, it's really hard for me to imagine but, but, how you justify the data, right? It, but I, but I, I mean, let's let's be real, right? Like all these big pharma companies are all convicted felons. They all have yes. been convicted of multiple felonies. Uh, Pfizer's been fined what forty billion or something. I mean, these guys are all habitual repeat offenders, lying yes. to doctors, yeah. lying to regulators, falsifying yeah. research, all of it. And it's all, and they, they do it over and over and over again and nothing happens. Like they just, ah, whatever. I'll pay they a do, fine. But it just, I'll pay yeah, a fine just, and slap you on the I wrist mean, and that's the, it. The scale, the scale of what's going on now, like beggars belief, right? Like, I mean, sure. Vioxx, Maybe it killed a couple hundred thousand. I mean, that's horrible enough, right? But you're talking about tens of millions. I know. You know if the death death rate applies apply, that applies to America applies to the world, we're talking about millions of dead, right? Like five million dead, maybe more. Ten million, who knows, right? At this point, five billion people have been injected. Okay, um, so yeah, I'm uh, you know twenty five thousand. We're talking about you know just in the US that multiply you know by 40 like i said a million deaths in the US that's uh 0.5% right of 200 i don't know how many people are in the US 350 million maybe 350 million so yeah so um so 1 350th of the world population but, that's been injected but their numbers here's the other thing is they they try to say 200 million have been vaxxed i think that the, those numbers are high i think that uh it's actually much less um a lot of people maybe took one shot and they haven't taken anything yeah, else yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you have right. about, so I, you, I just checked if the same death rate applies to the world, we're talking about 14 million. Okay. <laughs> Dead people. Yeah. I mean that, that, I mean, the scale of the devastation, I mean, you're just like, is beyond words, right? It's beyond understanding. And, and when you're talking about such big numbers, I mean, you're talking about like atrocities that have literally never occurred in human history. Okay. I, or maybe maybe you'd have to go back to like a you know a war. You'd have to go back to what happened in Russia with the uh, um, Stalin, right? Yeah. Twenty million dead, you know, something like that. I mean, um, you know, six million dead in you know uh, in Germany, maybe you know um, whatever number you want to put on it. But we're talking about atrocities that are mind-bogglingly large, right? And um, when when some when the numbers are that big, people. Are, I mean, these people would be hanging, right? I mean, we'd be talking about Nuremberg part two, right? Like if this be. got out. So, I mean, you can understand that if if they're aware of this and they haven't, and they can't justify it and, and it seems like they can't, then they're running scared and they would be willing to do anything, right? Um, to prevent this coming out. And I, I have to like believe that there's some kind of deep state involvement, right? Like somebody was went to Pfizer and was like, don't worry, you're not gonna get in trouble. <laughs> Just keep going. Um, because otherwise, you would you would think that they would stop it, right? It's well, just they, like well, they're completely immune; they have no immunity, uh, right? Know, but they, so so the immunity thing only applies if they there was no wrongdoing. There was nothing like I mean, they can't like cover up all of this and well, expect maybe, immunity. So maybe that no. was why they didn't want to release the documents for seventy five years. Maybe that was why. Ab yeah, definitely. Yes, <laughs> I mean, they, so so this you know with Vioxx and these other scandals, you don't really find out anything until you get forced discovery in like a court of law and you're forced forcing the company to show you everything. Um, and so I don't know that this is everything that they have. This is, I think, just what the FDA saw. But I don't know if they sh had to show the FDA everything that they had, right? Probably on not. these things. I, I don't know. Not. I mean, so so the the data that a pharmaceutical company collects, which most doctors don't know, I didn't really even realize this until a few weeks ago, 
is proprietary. They don't share it with anyone. They don't even share it with the lead author of the right. study. They, right. they, their own scientists behind closed doors compile it and put it together and write up the paper and just get it signed by the lead author who conducted the study and collected the data. And it, you know he can give some feedback, but he can't edit it basically, right? And then it's, it's sent off to the journal and it's peer reviewed, you know, peer reviewed. <laughs> and, and all they have access to is what the drug company wants to show them. You know, it's like, no, there's no checks and balances anywhere. Okay. Like somebody needs to go and pour through all that data, comb through all of it in the pharmaceutical company's files. That's the only way real peer review would be happening. So the entire system is a sham and it's been a sham for decades. For That's sure. what people need to understand. Yeah, the FDA and the CDC, they get like 40% of their budget from, from the pharma companies. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. They're supposed to be regulating these guys and they're getting paid by them. Um, so, and I have to say, Doc, I mean, no offense to you. I mean, you're a great doctor, obviously. You know your stuff. But uh, the medical community has lost a whole lot of credibility over the last two years. Would you agree with that? Definitely. And at the same time, like I always try to put myself in other people's shoes. And so like, I kind of liken it to talking to somebody on the other side of the political aisle. It's like, it's impossible to talk about politics, right? Like you just can't get people to remove their blinders and like see the things the way that you see them. Right. And, and I understand, like, I, I grew up in a liberal family. I grew up as a liberal, right? Like I, I was kicking myself for not voting in this presidential election when I was in college, you know, I, I was there in Florida with the chads and everything. Right. When Al Gore, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, darn it, I should have voted for Al Gore, you know? Um, and so, yeah, all that changed over the course of a few years, right? Like it took a while for me to get like red pilled properly, right? And so, you know, everyone has like a different kind of route to that, to like waking up and open, their eyes being opened and understanding that the CDC is lying and the FDA is lying and they're in collusion with the pharmaceutical companies. And, and so like it, wherever you are in your life, you can kind of understand how, how doctors are thinking because like just think about trying to like red pill a friend who's like, you know, it's so hard to do, even though the truth is on your side. And even though you can show them evidence, right? Even They just just close their eyes and stick their head in the sand and like refuse to listen to you and refuse to look at the evidence. Or even if you give them evidence and they hear it with their ears, they discount it. You know, all the evidence you throw at them, they're just like, ah, yeah, you know, <laughs> they come up with some way of just continuing to believe what they believe, right? Their worldview is unassailable. And so that's what the doctors are feeling, right? That's what most of the doctors are thinking and feeling. They've, they've been utterly brainwashed, deeply brainwashed, right? To the point where it's incredibly difficult to get them to, to understand that the CDC could possibly be doing something wrong, right? They just trust blindly, blind faith. You know, they, they don't check themselves. Certainly they don't. Nobody doctors, trusts nobody trusts the government about anything. Why would they trust them about this? Yeah. I mean, I don't understand it, but I hear what you're saying. So let's talk about solutions. You were on the reawaken tour, and that you were it was the San Diego uh, stop, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you actually um you actually talked about something that I've been trying to to talk about, you know, we have all these different um, ideologies. We have all these different freedom groups. You know, some people working on election integrity. Some people work on medical freedom. Some people working on, um, you know, whatever it is, gun rights, whatever. And then you have all the different religions, you know, and they're all doing their different things too. And, you know, I'm like, these are all people that would typically be 
on my side of the aisle and probably yours, but yet they cannot uh, come together and work together for a common goal. It's almost like they there's all this infighting amongst these groups. On the Reawaken Tour, you talked about uh, how all religions need to come together uh, for a common principle that we should all agree with. Go ahead and tell us about that because I totally agree with yeah, you. Yeah, so, so, you know, you know, I'm a religious person. I believe, you know, Adam and Eve. I believe, you know, um, you know, the stories from the Bible. Um, and so um, if, if you believe that, right, that we all came from Adam and Eve, we are all one big family, right? Like we're distant cousins of each other, basically, right? That, that's the basic thing. And that's what ties us together. And so even if you don't believe that, just you have a humanistic kind of view of humanity, you would agree that like, our primary concerns are all the same, right? Like we want our, our life to be secure, our health to be secure, our families to be secure, our jobs to be secure. You know, we want some like freedom and we want some, you know, we want happiness in our life. We want to be able to make some money and a good economy. All these things, like we all share these same ideals and desires, right? As human beings, right? Like we can get down to the weeds about all these minor differences, but I would point out to people that like, probably in your own life, the people you get maddest at are the people who are most similar to you, right? Like your siblings, for example, right? Like I can't get as mad <laughs> at anyone as I get at like my brother, okay? <laughs> like literally, no one can infuriate me as much as my brother, but we are the so similar, right? Like people who meet us think that we're twins, even though we're two years apart, right? And it's just a family resemblance. It's not like we really look that similar, but to other people, they see the similarities, right? And all we see is the differences. Um, so, so that's the point that I'd like people to understand that we have to focus on the similarities and stop highlighting all of our differences with like magnifying glasses, essentially, okay? The really big things in the world, we all have them in common, okay? Like these are the most important pillars of human life, right? Like you need to have, um, you know, a good job and you need to have food on your table and you need to have bodily security, right? You need to have health and, and your life itself is the most meaningful thing, right? So for that to be at risk, put at risk, your health and your life, you know, that's the that's the most like immediate concern of every living human being. And so that thing needs to be the rallying cry that like we all join together fighting for that, right? And and set aside all these things. I mean, I have a lot of differences with a lot of people, you know, and you can, when you focus on them, you end up hating each other. That's the problem, right? The more you focus on those differences, the bigger they appear and the more you hate the person, right? Whereas if you just, stop looking at those things and only look at what is similar between you, that'll generate love, right? It engenders love between people, um, even people who think that they're different. Like, like you look at what's happening in the Middle East, Arabs, you know, the Palestinians, the Jews, they are very, very close, right? Like even like historically and uh, genetically and like, you know, they, they come from very similar places. Like they, they have very similar cultures. They speak very similar languages and yet the, you know, the conflict and the hate is so deep, right? I mean, they, they both come from Abraham, right? Well, it goes back Isaac. to, goes back to the Bible and that's the, uh, yeah. that's the oldest. Uh, they they were brothers, literally. They, they're, yeah. they're, 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 great, 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 great grandparents were brothers, right? Yep. And right. now their children hate each other. Like literally they'll kill each other over nothing. Right. So, so that's what I was kind of trying to get at that. Uh, and so the deep state or whoever, right. Um, 
countries around the world, like the elites, they would have us all divided because that's literally the only way they can control millions of people with just a handful of guns. Like, you know, we got a lot of guns in this country, right? Um, and it's not really the guns, right, that control us. It's our own divisions that allow us to be controlled, right? Like, yeah, they definitely... A, yeah, they definitely want to divide us for sure. And that's what I've been telling all these groups, you know, these freedom groups like, hey, you better come together right now and or else we're going to get rolled over. I mean, like if we're all together, they're not going to be able to do it. Um, yep. If the, if if everybody's divided and segmented, then forget it. It's over. So solutions. You've got mygotodoc.com. That's where people can get prophylaxis treatment or not even even if they're sick, they can get treatment there. Uh, with the stuff that actually works, you know, uh, HCQ and ivermectin. Um, make sure to take your zinc with those because if you don't take zinc, it's not going to work. Uh, and um, you you brought up some a, a really good other point, and not too many people are talking about it. You know, with the supply chains disrupting, and now food shortages coming. Uh, even the president admits that, and a gasoline crisis. I mean, you're going to have all kinds of problems with energy. Uh, so people are, you know, a lot of people are prepping and trying to have food and, and water and things like that on hand, but you brought up, um, prepping with antibiotics. You say there's six antibiotics everybody should have. And I, I, I assume you can get that on your site too. What are the, yeah. what are the six antibiotics that everybody should have? So, so they're, they're antibiotics that most people recognize as just being the thing, the go-to antibiotics that you get prescribed, right? When you're child has an earache or you have a sore throat or you have pneumonia or bronchitis or you know a skin infection so so most people have heard of these before or uti right so it's augmentin or amoxicillin clavulanic acid azithromycin or zpac um cephalexin or keflex you know it's a common one used for skin infections and utis um ciprofloxacin another big one that a lot of people have heard about treats traveler's diarrhea and a bunch of other things um stomach infections all kinds of things um and uh doxycycline you know is a big one going around in COVID circles, but it treats a whole lot of things, right? It'll treat Lyme disease, it'll treat pneumonia, it'll treat all kinds of things. Um, and then metronidazole, so flagyl, that treats, you know, some um, bacterial infections, it treats C. diff, it treats, um, it'll treat like um, some things, that you, sometimes you have to combine it with other things in order to treat interabdominal infections or dental infections and other things like that. So these are kind of like six really important kind of foundational broad spectrum antibiotics that'll basically wipe out anything that comes at you. Um, and the reason I thought it was important was it was kind of an extension of what I was doing with COVID, which basically became 90% 90, 90 of the time, it was like people come to me and they were like, doc, I just want it in case I get it, right? Like, let me just have it in my medicine cabinet so I can start on day one and start treating it. And then I was like, you know, I started looking into the supply chains and everyone kind of had this sense that there's something rotten in the supply chains, you know, in the last couple of years, but it didn't really hit too close to home because I mean, maybe a little bit of toilet paper shortage, a little bit of this, that, like it wasn't anything that was super important for us. Um, but I kind of went down this rabbit hole researching it and discovered that 97% of antibiotics are made overseas in China, which is not a friendly country, right? If we, if we decided, if we decided to, you know, face off against China, they could decide to sanction us by not, you know, blocking our antibiotic supply or our other medications. All all prescription drugs actually primarily made in China and some in India, which is quite friendly with China, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they border each other. And so um so I saw that and uh, and I just started thinking about it and and realized that, you know, all 
the pandemic was kind of um, telegraphed, right? So like a boxer telegraphs their punches, you know where they're going to hit you. Um, the World Economic Forum um, kind of telegraphed this. And, and it's hard, you know, it's so coincidental, right? Like there's no other way that every government could have acted in such lockstep, right? Like they, they literally did exactly the same thing. They spoke from the same script. They all like implemented lockdowns, like 99.9% governments, right? Yeah, yeah. Like everyone's saying the exact same words coming out of the mouths of like politicians from every country and every, you know, newscasters everywhere, you know. Um, and so that happened two months before the pandemic hit, right? And it was a coronavirus pandemic that they were wargaming, right? I mean, what are the odds, <laughs> you know? Um, and so two months later, the coronavirus pandemic hit, you know, and they were all ready for it. And so the next thing that they wargamed out with all the world's governments was the cyber polygon, right? Um, event and that's basically a takedown of the internet and why, why would the deep state why would any of these people want to take down the internet right so the most effective means of fighting them is spreading information in alternative media and alternative media has gotten so powerful right like joe rogan gets way more views than anyone else on the planet it seems like right like cnn nbc no one holds a candle to Joe Rogan. I mean, he has 11 million viewers. And the, I mean, these these news shows get a couple hundred thousand, you know, on a good day. Um, so so alternative media is uh, has quite effectively like been destroying their pro their ability to propagandize the American people in the world. Right. And so um, so what if the Internet went down? What if a bad actor, you know, wiped out the internet, you know, took it down, took down the big servers, you know, like, so the internet, we, we get on the internet from centralized locations, right? Like you, your computer goes through a bunch of wires and everything and eventually connects through like a big server farm to get onto the internet. So there's these uh, gateways to the internet, right? And so, yeah, a hacker suppose, you know, theoretically could, you know, somehow take them down and maybe like hold them ransom with Bitcoin or something. And then what would the response be? Like if the internet went down for like a few days or weeks or something, the world would be like at a loss, utterly at a loss, right? Like nothing would work, nothing would happen, right? Hospitals wouldn't work, ships wouldn't move, you know, docks, they wouldn't dock, they, like nothing would, you wouldn't be able to do anything, right? So talk about supply chain breakdowns, it'd be supply chain chaos, okay? Um, and so, um, and then when they rebooted it, they would be like, okay, now we need like, just like with banks, when you open a bank account, we need KYC laws, we need to like confirm your identity in order to get on the internet. So if Joe Rogan wants to get back online and start, you know, broadcasting, he's going to have to go through, you know, Google data center or something and get a KYC done. And, and maybe they'll be like, you know what? We, we don't like Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know, Sorry, <laughs> Joe, but uh, you're not having access to the new internet, you know? Um, so, so I'm a bit worried about that. Right. And that kind of goes to your question of what should we do? What's the solution, right? Like we need to, you know, like what Elon Musk is doing, right? Like we need to demand that we have a free and open internet, right? The way the internet used to be before all these walled gardens, right? Before all these like takeovers of the public square by Twitter and Facebook and, you know, Google and YouTube, right? We, we need to demand that they either like, you know, fold their cards and like give up this whole like attack on free speech, or we just yank it back from them. We destroy these companies. I mean, we've got to do something, right? Um, and we got to ensure that our free and open, like our ability to speak freely, at least on alternative media sites, on, on a free and open internet continues to exist. And the internet doesn't turn into some like weird totalitarian, you know, Chinese, you know, monstrosity, you know, Frankenstein of what it used to be. Um, so, so it kind of gets into like the whole supply chain issue. You know, uh, if the internet went down, 
yeah, you wouldn't be able to get your hands on anything, right? Everything would run dry. Um, so it's not just antibiotics that are important for like a situation like a Hurricane Katrina or a supply chain breakdown of some kind, or, you know, China deciding to like give us sanctions, you know, we sanction China, they sanction us back. Um, but also you need a supply of your own medications. If you are taking chronic medications, you need like four to six weeks of that also in your medicine cabinet, just in case, because if you stop those stuff, those things cold turkey, you know, you quit cold turkey, it's not good. People can have strokes, heart attacks, diabetic comas, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right about all that. People should be prepared. Definitely got to get ahead of the supply chain. Um, alternative media for sure, you know, but there is a parallel economy popping up and, you know, to that point, I mean, there is gab.com, um, which is free and open. Uh, they built their own servers. Nobody's taken them down. Um, and the only terms of service uh, on Gab is if it's allowed under the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, it's allowed on Gab.com. So that is the only free speech platform currently available. In the I United totally States. agree with you, right? Yeah. Like I, everyone else is corrupted, right? Every single other platform has been Rump, corrupted. right down to Rumble yes. and and um, Getter and yep. you know all yep. these other ones that are popping. Even Truth Social, President Trump's yep. Truth Social. They've already censored and banned people. Telegram yep. is Telegram is doing it. Um, you know, so Gab is really the only free place on the internet, and uh, there is a parallel economy forming, and more of these types of companies will continue to pop up. So, I am hopeful uh, for that. And uh, people like you, Doc, like mygotodoc.com, that's another form of the parallel economy. So, kudos to you. Congratulations. Um, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate having you on. Good conversation. We'll have to have you back too down the road. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Don't Tread on Liberty with Jason Davis. Subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, or your favorite platform. For more Liberty news, check out www.donttreadonliberty.com and subscribe to the blog or join the conversation. 